Welcome, my name is Dan Morgan, and thank you for tuning in to the Podcast Potables Network, home of both Process Potables and The Brew Coats. We are proud to be part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia family. You can find all things Underground Sports Philadelphia on Twitter, at UndergroundPHI. We would also like to thank Design Tree for being a partner of the Podcast Potables Network. You can find shirts from us and much, much more at designtree.com and at designtree on Twitter. We are on social media, including Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at Process Potables. Thank you to everybody for listening, and please, if you haven't already, subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. We'll get you right into the episode in just a minute, but first, our friends in the presence of wolves. Everybody and welcome to episode 42 of Process Potables. This episode is titled Death of the Pod. We are live from Death of the Fox Brewing and I am joined as usual by Steve who came up with the title of the pod. So thanks for your contribution, Steve. You're welcome. Anytime. I'm glad we could workshop it. We, uh, we're here hanging out, drinking some beers. I just fin- I just crushed a flight. I shouldn't say finish. I crushed a flight. They have four different breakfast beers here right now. We've had like, I think we've tried some breakfast stouts and... There's, like, dogfish had beer for breakfast and whatever. But, like, if I'm being honest, like, I'm still yet to really find a beer that, like, I could really wake up and have other than the PBR, uh, what, what is it, the PBR coffee, I think it is. Yeah, it's a coffee, but it tastes just like you Right, it just tastes like you Oh, that one, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, but that's not beer. So these were beer, but they were breakfast style. So there was a Cinnamon Toast Crunch Pale Ale. There was a Nitro Milk Chocolate Stout. And there was a Crunch Berry Cream Ale that actually had like a cereal like a crunch berry rim and cereal in the beer is fucking banging and then there's an apple jacks one which i didn't have it's not really my thing as far as the beer i like apple jacks as a cereal not really for the beer so I switched it out for a uh, double ipa which was right up my alley as well so i went four for four which uh you know four much like four. the podcast yeah going four for four <laughs> and now i'm drinking this mango session ipa which which is pretty nice it's probably not as good as everything else I had, but I didn't really think that full pours of any of those were really like the cereal beer was like a nice thing to do a flight of. You don't want to drink like 12 to 16 ounces of that. Like this is a nice sipping beer. This will get me through the episode. Yeah. What you uh, mentioned earlier about, you know, not finding like the perfect uh, breakfast beer. Yeah. I'm, I'm weird in that. Like growing up as a kid, all I ate was cereal. And then I probably stopped eating cereal. Like once I became an adult, but now like, I recently found my love for cereal again, but I don't like eating it for breakfast. I like eating it like before bed or in the middle of the night, like as like a snack. So uh, th- now that Crunchberry beer you talked about, I, I very much enjoyed it. I'm-, I'm a big fan of Captain Crunch, es- especially the peanut butter Captain Crunch. Oh, absolutely, uh, dude. That with uh, maybe. I mean, maybe that was brimmed around the uh, milk chocolate salad. I don't banging, know where I saw it. I don't know if you saw it, but this, this will probably speak to you as well. Uh, verbal meme time, because those are the <laughs> best memes. Absolutely. But I saw something about how, like, there is no, there is, there are only two extremes with cereal. It's either you don't have it <laughs> as an adult. Yeah. It's like you don't have it for months, or it's 3 a.m. and you're eating, like, four bowls of it. Exactly. Like, that's, that's the two ends of the spectrum that there are. There's really nothing in between once you're over, like, 20, I well, guess. Well, I mean, I will admit, I only eat one bowl of cereal anymore, but one, it's also a big-ass bowl. I, I think right. I think it's a serving bowl, and <laughs> Cassie gets really mad when I eat out of it. I said, listen, because when it comes to cereal, I fill that shit to the top, and when I walk, it like starts to make a mess and pour over. So I have like a big bowl that could easily three bowls of cereal, but I can walk that upstairs, and I'm not making a mess. I'm so crying. You know? Like... <laughs> Like in forgetting forgetting Sarah Marshall, where he's eating the giant bowl of cereal. Yeah. Um, oh my god! I, yeah, when, once you get to the point where you're in your own house, at least you can accommodate for bowl size. So that's true. I was gonna say that I thought you were just saying you only have one. And I was gonna say, well, me and you are like probably on some portion control restrictions right yeah. now. Uh, I should be anyhow. <laughs> uh, but but not tonight. Not tonight, baby. It's pod night. No. So it's pod night in America. Pod night. So. We are going to run down the last two games since we did an episode, which was the blowout in Cleveland on Sunday afternoon. 
and the overtime loss to Oklahoma City, which admittedly I was drunk off my ass doing karaoke and eating pancake fries during. So uh, I only saw the overtime collapse and then turn that shit off so it didn't ruin my night. Uh, Smart. couple other things. I, I want to talk about it's going to sound weird, but I have a lot of stats to back it up. I want to talk about the distance that specific players are shooting from and how that is different throughout their careers, uh, mainly tied to the Sixers. And then we were asked a couple mailbag questions. Most of them I kind of just replied to very snarky on Twitter, but two things I wanted to touch on from that one were if the Sixers do go looking for a potential buyout or like small trade kind of candidates toward the deadline, which we're very far away from. And obviously these names will change and come and go. But I did try to do some heavy research, looked up a lot of guys who will be unrestricted free agents next year on teams that don't seem like they're contenders uh, that may just be potential names. So I'll, I'll run some of them by you and see what you think if they could be had for, you know, maybe like a Jonah Bolden and some seconds or, or some kind of minor deal, uh, things like that. And then also, I wanted to congratulate Mariel Shayok for winning the uh, NBA G League Player of the Week. Oh, I would nice. normally save this for Brewcoats, but I don't know. We probably won't do an episode for a little bit because I'm not going to be back to another game until December. Uh, I do pre- appreciate everybody who listened to the first episode. I was surprised that anyone actually wanted to hear about that. But the G League coverage is really getting there, so it's really exciting. It's fun to be a part of that. I'll be there for most of the games this season, so I'm really happy to be down there in Delaware. But Mario Shayok was the uh, NBA G League Player of the Week. Like I said, he averaged 35 points a game, 9.3 rebounds, and 3.7 assists. He's the league leader in scoring. I mean, I've talked about it on Brewcooks. We've talked about it on here. And uh, so I've had a couple conversations with people on Twitter, and somebody brought this up as a mailbag. So this isn't really necessarily a question, but it's more just an overall topic of conversation of comparing guys in the G League and the level of talent that they're playing against compared to what they it would be like if they came to the NBA level. And this won't take very long because the answer is it's not that close. The, yeah, G, League, no <laughs> the G League is an entire different sport like than college basketball or the NBA. Like It's a very weird thing that all three of those games are very different. I would say the NBA is a blend of college and the G League so, like, if you go from college to the NBA to the G League, it's like kind of like a, like a shock, like a culture shock. Because college is very slow, in my yeah. opinion. Like, they have a longer shot clock. It's a very slow half-court offense. They pass it around the arc for, like, 15 goddamn seconds. They have a shorter so, three-point arc. Like, yeah. I also don't like college sports. So I know I might sound cynical, but, like, the reality is that, you know, I think the NBA and the G League are played at significantly higher paces than college basketball are. The NBA is the medium in between. You see teams that play at a fast pace. You see teams that can, you know, not so much maybe anymore, but there are still, you know, exceptions to the rule. Teams that can play a solid half-court defense. We're hoping the Sixers become that. The G League is paid at a very frantic pace. There's very little defense. You can tell by the box scores. I mean, teams are pretty regularly scoring 130, 140, 150. It's basically, does the shot go in or not? There's not really a whole lot of contest in that. It's just, can these guys shoot or not? Yeah. So it's not to detract from how great Shayok has looked. It's just to explain that if he came to the NBA, if you're like, oh, he's averaging 35, he could come to the NBA and average 17 and a half. No, it's not even that. Hmm. Like, if he started on an NBA team right now, he'd probably average... 10 points a game maybe because the NBA is so much more physical like these are the best of the best these are pure athletes like a lot of the worst guys on an NBA team could go and absolutely shred an entire G League team Jonah Bolden got demoted to the Bluecoats he showed up there Friday night like hadn't spent any time with the team or anything on the road and drops 34 points Jonah Bolden yeah, who hadn't played Bolden. an NBA minute. This, <laughs> or I think to that point, I think he played five minutes the entire season to that point. Now, you would you would probably have a better idea at this than me, obviously, but do you think it helps players, whether they're going up and down, you know, between the Bluecoats and the Sixers, that because 
my understanding is the coach uh, for the uh, Blue Coats, they implement like the same system and everything right. that Brett does. So not, I don't think every team is like that because I don't think right. all the teams are owned by the franchise. I think there are some teams that are affiliated but aren't owned. Right. The Blue Coats are owned by the Sixers, right. which is great. And yeah. yes, Coach Johnson is amazing. He's a, a, a fantastic basketball mind. And they implement a lot of the same schemes and systems and things that Brett Brown and the organization want implemented throughout so that guys that are there are familiar with these things. Now, it's not a perfect thing, and they are still obviously playing their own game and trying to be you know, a competitive team as far as the G League is concerned. But a lot of the times when we've referenced this kind of trickle-down system, we've talked about Norvell Pell and the success he's had with the Bluecoats. Norvell Pell plays this Batman kind of role that we also see the Sixers do with Joel Embiid, where yeah. he is often not in man-to-man coverage. He is really just protecting the rim, and everyone else is just kind of rotating around and feeding everybody to that guy in the hopes that he can alter or block or just impact the shot if it gets there. That That is basically the defensive scheme, more or less. They do, they've done the same thing for years now in Delaware with Norvell Pell, which is why he has looked so great defensively and why I don't think that on many teams he could even be considered a backup big. For the Sixers, he could very well serve as a, as a you know, plug-and-play, very small minutes, a game-here-and-there guy because at least on the defensive end, he's going to fit right in. Yeah. So as far as Shayok is concerned, I will say this. I think that he needs to get NBA run this season, but there is no way that he is going to be the answer to a single problem that this team has. And there's no way that this team, with the way that they've operated, with the way that Brett Brown operates, and with the all-in mentality that we've seen Elton Brand demonstrate to this point, that they're going to put that kind of trust in a second-round pick in his first season just because he's torching the G League a little bit. Like They're going to make a move first. Like. If they go to the buyout market or anything like that and it doesn't work and then maybe you're not able to make moves at that point, then you know maybe you have to you know, push his role a little more and see what you can get. But that's definitely not going to be the first thing that they turn to. Absolutely if it comes not. down to that, that would be really bad. So, you know, I, I, I want to go through the rundown we talked about, but I wanted to get that out of the way, mainly to congratulate Mariel Shayok. So, Congrats, you know, shout out to Mariel Shayok because Keep it, it up, it's son. been awesome. You know, like I covered a couple of games last year, and it, it's a great time down there. The building's brand new; it's really nice. They do; it's very much like a Sixers game. They have all the entertainment, all the stuff. Paul Green Rock School's down there playing now uh, during the games, before oh, wow. the games. Yeah, it's really, I really it was cool. Just a one game thing. No, they're there every game. They're like the in in, in game entertainment. Uh, they're like up on this balcony area. It's really, really cool. A lot of promotions, a lot of stuff going on. The 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 view is incredible. It's not a bad seat in the building. Like it, it's all great. But like the last couple of years, like it's been fun to watch them. But when you have a guy like Mario Shayok down there, who's absolutely lighting the league on fire, and even a guy like Xavier Munford, who's down there putting up like I think close to thirty points a game at the point guard level, like they have two bona fide like like monster scoring options and it, it just makes the game more entertaining because no one's playing defense down there no pretty much nobody so you, you like to see that they have top level scoring talent that that they can utilize just in in their own semblance of trying to put together uh their team while also dealing with the fact that they're really trying to make sure that a lot of the guys are available and ready to go if and when the sixers call on them so speaking of the sixers since this is the oh, sixers right. podcast right. right almost forgot not the brew coats uh we're gonna. You said you wanted to start with the Cavs. Let's start wanna, with the. We're starting with the Thunder. Okay. Yeah. So Friday night, losing overtime, they were up three going into the fourth. They blow that lead and then they get kind of run out the building in overtime. You have everything in front of you here. I mean, number one, my biggest concern here is that I would have honestly rather just taken the loss on the road than go into overtime and see these minute totals. Yeah. 45 for Ben, 38 for Tobias, 37 and a half for Joel. Like that's the problem with games like that. Is the Thunder are not a good team. You you should just beat them outright, but then just lose cuz now you take the loss, you ran everybody into the ground. It's very very frustrating. I don't know what your thought did you did you watch the full game? Yeah. So I obviously wasn't watching it for the most part. I did catch bits and pieces. I was, I was tracking it on my phone. I could see the box score, and I watched some of the overtime workout. I saw the end of the game and watched some of the overtime until it seemed to get out of hand. Here's my impression having not watched it, and then I'll, I'll let you basically tell me if I'm right about this or not. Like, 
looking just at the stats, this looks like such an anomaly game. Like, the Thunder looked like they played out of their minds, and the Sixers looked like they played average and had either were either just overly aggressive or the refs really kind of did them in on this one. And we don't really like to throw that around in general or specifically on this pod. But I look at this, I see the fact that the Thunder had three guys score 24 or more and Shai Gilgis-Alexander, Chris Paul, and Danilo Gallinari. Chris Paul did not have a single turnover in this game. We're talking about like 34, 35-year-old Chris yeah. Paul against this Sixers defense. All five starters actually play in this game, which I tried to credit them last time we talked about the reason to be optimistic was the fact that they had barely played, and when they did, they were very good. You forced zero turnovers from Chris Paul, who we know is like a Hall of Famer, but not right now. No. Not right now. He's plus 16. Danilo Gallinari has 28 points on 7 of 11 from the field, 11 of 11 from the line. Chris Paul, 12 of 12 from the line, which leads me to the Sixers stats. Ben Simmons fouled out. Tobias Harris fouled out. Ben, five turnovers. Like, you had two guys foul out. Like, every starter had at least three fouls. Horford, three. Embiid, four. Richardson, five. And then Simmons and Harris foul out. It sounds like they're, like either they were just being ridiculously aggressive and, and committing stupid fouls, or the rest were just calling everything, which is ridiculous for this team. Yeah, I think I, – I agree with you. I'm not the one that always likes to, you know, pin it on the ref. But uh, I, I will say, and it's easier – saying this now it's almost like with the benefit of hindsight that I kind of had the feeling before the game this was like maybe a trap game where yeah collectively this is not a good Oklahoma City team but you know it's almost like but you go in at seven and four and you've been struggling you can't call that a trap at that point no you're right but it's almost like you know the, the parts are greater than the sum in this case and it seems like every decent middle you know middle tier guard just has like their career game against the Sixers and, dude, like, Chris Paul just kind of, you know, had had a performance where he looked five years younger. He, he torched us on a perimeter. <clears throat> and it was also – the best way I can put this is the thing with Ben Simmons I've kind of noticed is some, with a lot of games, his defense, it's kind of like an ebb and flow. Like, he'll have a quarter of, you know, just being on everyone, but then the next quarter it sometimes seems like he's not even trying. And I just – you know, and it's not obviously all on him, but – whether it's him, Josh Richardson, they had a hard time containing uh, Chris Paul and uh, Shy Gills Alexander. I think I pronounced that correctly. Yeah, you're pretty close. Sure. I'll take well, it. All right. So it was just a combination of things. And <clears throat> down the stretch, there were just some – I don't know if it's, you know, not being aggressive enough or playing smart, but it's just we – we had the game in our hands, let it slip away. And then when it goes to overtime after a game like that, everyone's just tired and foul- fouling out. So, Yeah, once it went to overtime, <laughs> I think everyone had, had a pretty good idea that that one was going to be over. And, you know, that's a little bit justified. But, again, not a team that should get you there. But it seems like kind of an anomaly. I know people are in panic mode. I know people are not happy about the record at this point. But, again, without watching it, like I just feel like that's one of those games where you just kind of chalk it up and say – the the odds were ridiculously the wrong way. Like that game gets played a hundred times, and like eighty seven of those times the Sixers win. Yeah, and, and and there's still some things you can. I mean, Toby had a game <laughs> we sent on the last pod. Maybe it's time for, for him just to sit, or he just needs a few games just to figure. And he, he I mean, he, he had twenty one shooting fifty percent. It's fine. Three for four from three. I'm very happy with. But yeah. Like, so when he got that first three point, it was just like a nice. You know, getting a monkey off your back, a nice sigh of relief. Sure. So it was, you know, it, it was, it, it was, it wasn't the perfect game, but it was, it, it was progress. I'll take it. Yeah, and you know, thankfully, I mean, maybe this was. Uh, you would have hoped that before that game, they had already received the kicks in the ass they needed to get going. But obviously, on Sunday, we saw. I would say between this and the Minnesota game, you know, the most complete performance from this team that we've had to this point. They absolutely route the Cavaliers. 114 to 95. And I'm assuming no one watched the uh, second half of the Sixers game. Yeah, the Eagles kind of overshadowed the second half. We can half. all we, admit that. We didn't really it's need okay. it. Yeah. Oh, here you go. The, <clears throat> the Sixers had 33 assists on 46 makes. <coughs> and they shot 67% from the field in the half. At one point in the third quarter, this game was 75 to 44. Like, that's when everybody turned it off and focused on Eagles Patriots. It's, it's very, very fair. 
what I'll say about this game in comparison to the close game that they had last Tuesday at home is that that was another one of those games where it seemed like a lot of guys were just kind of playing above their level. We were mainly talking about Jordan Clarkson in that regard, and the Sixers were still going through their struggles. So like you said, the Oklahoma City game was at least you take the positive of Tobias Harris figuring it out. He continued that in this game. He only shot two threes, which is kind of a concern to me, but they didn't really need to. He goes 12 of 14 from the field, which is crazy. 27 points, a plus 23. I saw people saying, oh, Tobias Harris is back. And here's where my problem is. The fact that he only shot two threes and he went 12 of 14 from the field. I know that it's, it's like you play who you play, all those cliches. But this is the Cavaliers. We know that they're not anywhere near a contender. And their defense just looked fucking awful like I want to give Tobias Harris credit for this, but the fact that he went 12 of 14 from the field basically means that he was able to get to the rim and get what he wanted, which is great. But that doesn't mean he's back. He still has to work through these shooting issues. He does. And I want to talk more about his shooting later. But the bigger concern I have, I, I know it's hard to say that you have a concern after you win 114 to 95, but my bigger concern, and albeit you didn't need it in this one, is. Josh Richardson and Ben Simmons combining for 18 points against a team like that. So you're telling me Tobias Harris can get any look he wants, but Ben Simmons can't? Yeah. I mean, it, it, you're definitely right. I mean, it's, 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 it's a win, but you still have to walk away with, you know, those concerns. Uh, I think in this game, Ben Simmons, he was – okay, I'm sorry. He was a plus 14. And, and again, it's just he – Anything outside of 10 feet, he's just he's not even trying. And if anything, this is a type of game that would be ideal where, you know, you could it would be nice to see something outside of 10 feet, you know. And if it doesn't go in, like, dude, at one point we're up by over 30. So it's it's, it's whatever. Yeah, what's the difference between this so, and playing the Gangs Owl Lions or whatever? Exactly. Like, at some point, can't you just can't you just give it a go? Yeah. Um, Sixers had six players in double figures. Tobias Harris was interviewed after the game. He said, quote, we needed a win, and we came out with great energy and used our defense to fuel everything. When you get high percentage shots and play good defense, it's a good combination. I think we all agree with that. That's that bully ball offense and smash mouth defense that we've been waiting for. My concern is it was the Cavaliers. Yeah, and it just seems like it goes back to a little bit last year, too, where – the benefit of this team and having you know, you know, such a big team is we're going to be playing a lot of post-up bully ball, and that's going to take away from opportunities. Whether it's just uh, shooting from the outside, you know, running a pick and roll, or even a dribble handoff, so you're seeing less of that. But I, I mean, we Tobias is one of the guys we when we need a shot, when we need a three, he, he's going to have to you know step up and take them. So going with that. I don't know if you if you saw this because I feel like for all the chaos that Sixers Twitter can bring, I didn't really see many people talking about this. So maybe it's a non-issue, but I'll bring it to you. Maybe you've read this. Maybe you haven't. But Embiid was quoted after that game regarding Ben Simmons saying, quote, for us to win, we're going to need him to shoot. But, you know, I am fine with him playing his game, not forcing anything. Mixed message. Yeah. Does he need to shoot, or are you fine with him playing his game? Because clearly his game is not shooting. Yeah, but he needs to shoot. I think the expectations of reaching the finals and reaching its full potential, that includes Ben being able to develop a shot. And again, we've said this millions of times, it doesn't have to be a three-point shot. You know, I would just like him to shoot 70% from freeze and hit a mid-range jumper, or again, anything outside of 10 feet. 70% from what? From, from the free throw line. Okay, I just wanted to make yeah. sure that was clear. So, so let me to, ask you this in regards to that quote. So that was the quote, and I agree with everything you said. Now, this comes from Thiago on Twitter at T-Scabia, T-S-C-A-B-B-I-A, who I've, I've taken a couple of things from this season, and he's a really good follow for anyone on Sixers Twitter, so I want to make sure I give him credit. So he posted this quote from Embiid. He posted uh, screenshots of two other articles about the Ben Simmons shooting thing. And this was today. And he said, who was going to tell these people that since November 1st, Ben Simmons leads all of our starters in offensive rating and true shooting percentage? Wait, for real? For real. (laughs) That's real. 
Ben Simmons leads the starters in offensive rating and true shooting percentage. Now, true shooting percentage is obviously boosted when you don't take any fucking threes or yeah. mid-range jumpers. But offensive rating to lead the team when you play alongside Joel Embiid, I wouldn't have guessed that. Not from no. watching him. So these are. This is just one of those things. I don't. I don't. I think there's obviously a little bit of give and take with those numbers, but they're obviously good. I mean, best in the starting lineup. It just tells you that the eye test is important, and so are stats. They're both very important. Yeah. I think we can all agree that— One doesn't that, tell the whole story. Yeah, we can all agree that he may lead the team in offensive rating, but he's clearly not the best offensive player on the team, while it also tells you that clearly the numbers seem to back up, that he's not playing nearly as bad as we think, nearly as bad as some of the idiots that think we should be trading him in garbage deals— Oh, and God. things like that. Yeah, we're not going to get into that. But <laughs> it, it just shows that, you know, we drop a lot of stats on here. And we also talk a lot about the eye test. Like, we do both. I think both are important. I think there are a lot of people who get caught up in one or the other. Yeah. They have an opinion, and then you can find the numbers to back it up. And then whenever somebody doesn't agree with you, you just say, oh, well, what about the eye test, bro? Like, Yeah, and that's interesting because if I'm going by the eye test in the OKC game, for example, Embiid was four from eight from three. And... Typically, he doesn't play as much minutes as the rest of the starters. So I'm thinking with his offensive output during less time on the court, you, I would just think that he has to be the highest offensive. Uh, right. Play. But, but the numbers, that's not what they say. So. And, and I don't think enough people are giving Embiid. We already talked about it in the last episode, so I won't go heavy into it. But I don't think enough people are giving Embiid credit for his three-point shot so far. We're still no. early in the season, but all we've said for the last two years is, man, if he just hit these at a decent clip, we wouldn't be so goddamn mad about it. And obviously nobody's been mad about him taking them because they're going in, but no one's giving him the credit for hitting them. Yeah, and I, and I think th- there were times last year, too, where it's just the, the slot, uh, certain games, especially when they were down to the uh, shot selection from beyond the arc was for really sure. bad. And I just... Every time he's put up a three, I'm like, okay, that's a good shot. For like, sure. yeah, I, I haven't really had that feeling yeah. this year. The the issue we had that was lost in, in the anger was that we think he was taking them out of lack of conditioning and not wanting to run at basket to basket. Yeah. So he was pulling up at the arc and firing the shot so that he had less distance to travel to get back. And that no longer seems to be the case. It seems like when he's taking them, they're they're in rhythm, they're fluid within the offense for the most part, and right. they're going down. So no one's going to say anything. But it just doesn't. Seem, I feel like enough people haven't been giving him credit for adjusting that number. I have two things that we've already touched on. Uh, I'll, I'll go with the schedule first because then we'll kind of start talking about more into the shooting uh, numbers that I have, but. We've had a pretty weird schedule so far. They, they've already played several games on the road. They get 13 of the next 18 at home, and they currently sit at 8-5. and five. So 13 total games played. They're going to play another 18 more in this stretch, 13 at home. What record do you need from this team to deem this stretch a success? I'm going to say at least 9-4. and four. Well, they're playing 18. So, oh, I thought you meant just the home games. No, no, no. I'm the sorry. entire okay. the entire stretch of eighteen games. So okay, so you say they're nine and four at home, at, at then home, five yeah. on the road. Five on the road. Three and two. Okay, so what's so that? Twelve and six. That's twelve and six. Yeah. Okay. So they're four and zero at home right now. So to think that they go nine and four almost seems semi pessimistic. But obviously, I think that's like. Yeah, I mean, I would say any worse than 9-4 and four in 13 games at home is, is pretty bad yeah. for this team. So that I can get behind. So 12-6, and six, I mean, that's what, like a 67% winning right, percentage? Exactly, You're not going to yeah. complain about that? Yeah, that's probably the minimum. I, I, don't, I don't think I could justify – I don't think I can ask them to go any higher. I guess 11-7 11, 11 isn't the end of the world. That puts them at 19-12. and 12. I don't think anybody's going to be – Writing them off at 19 and 12. But, yeah, 12 and 6 sounds nice. I think you might have hit it right on the head. That's pretty nice. The 4-0 at home gives me hope that the 9 and 4 could be improved upon. I would think 2 and 3 on the road seems a little bit yeah, more and likely. I, and I know sometimes people get carried away with 
playing away versus playing at home, but especially when you have a team, when you have guys like Embiid, who's just going to need, you know, a night off for load management, a guy like Horford. And the, and the Wells Fargo Center, too. I mean, let's not act like oh, yeah. playing in Cleveland on Sunday afternoon was any no, motivation for that Cavs no. team, whereas every single Sixers game is a sellout. Like, not even the, to toot our own horn as just Philadelphia fans, but the Sixers right now are the hottest ticket in town. They've been selling out the building. This is the third straight year that they're going to have a full sellout season, like... Yeah, yeah. It, that matters. That not to go off matters. topic, but when I bought my tickets for uh, the end of the year when they're playing in or- Orlando, those tickets were uh, two hundred bucks because the Sixers were a big, you know, team in True. town. Oh, yeah. okay, right. So, <laughs> yeah. as as opposed to when I last went there and uh, Julio Okafor was uh, playing, so they were ten dollars a ticket, including fees. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to leave this up to you. So I want to talk about these these shooting disparities. So I have numbers on Tobias and numbers on Ben. We just talked a lot about Ben, so I feel like maybe that's where we should start, and then we'll come back to Tobias. Okay. I'm going to set the over-under for you. I mean, you, I don't know if you've actually read it and you'll remember it or not, or if, if you have it in front of you, but I was going to ask, give you an over-under. Okay, I didn't really look at it, so okay. that's fine. It's fine. The over-under for Ben Simmons' percentage of field goal attempts that are within 10 feet of the rim this season. I'm going to set it at 95 95%. Over. It's just under. Really? <laughs> 94.8. I, I had to try and figure out a number that you might actually yeah. pick the under. I figured anything like under 93, you would know it was over. Yeah. 94.8 of his field goal attempts are within 10 feet of the rim. That's absurd. And to give you frame of reference, his rookie season, he took over 17% of his field goal attempts from 10 to 16 feet. Oh, wow. That's exactly what you talked about earlier mm-hmm. and what me and you have both mentioned several times throughout the entire almost year that this has been a podcast. Sidebar, our one-year anniversary party is on December 6th at Neck of the Woods Brewing in Pittman, New Jersey. So come hang out. Come on Bam. out. Bam. That's fucking talent. Smart. Anyway. Last season, he shot 8% of his field goal attempts from 10 to 16 feet. This season, he's barely at 3%. Sheesh. That's not good, man. No, that's, that is not We good. have been very consistent that we don't give a shit if he hits threes. It would be nice, and we've seen the videos, which give us hope, but we just want that elbow jumper. That's all and he want. shot 17% of his attempts from about that range as a rookie. And two years later, that has declined by almost 14% to basically a non-existent number. Yeah, it seems like he's sticking too much to what he's good at and not, not trying anything new or experimenting with that It's really, really it's, troubling, man. Like people yeah. can, We can talk about offensive net rating and and true shooting percentage and everything but he has to take that shot it's beyond efficiency it's about offensive scheme it's about rhythm it's about and and he's 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 at a career pace for turnovers and you know why that is this is when we get back to the eye test it's because he dribbles into the paint and he has like a six foot baby hook and he's trying to shovel the ball to somebody else instead of shooting it yeah sometimes he gets you know too cute or trying to be too creative with getting the ball to people and he doesn't have to do that he doesn't have to do it at all this is a number one overall pick and it's been so annoying so far this season to see all the Luka Doncic praise and how good he's been and he's been incredible it's yeah. not a knock on him but man like I saw somebody say uh, I think I think I think this might have been uh, our boy Vin Vin Fosh on Twitter uh, who's also a great follow, and I got to sh- shout out Vin here. I, I, I'm pretty confident this was Vin who said, if Ben Simmons played to 80% of his potential, he's a better player than Luka Doncic. Absolutely. And I, I, people were giving him shit, but he's 1,000% right. I agree. 80% yeah. of Ben Simmons' maximum. I mean, you're, you're talking about, you're basically talking about like LeBron right now. Yeah, or 80% is just Ben Simmons hitting mid-rangers and not hitting threes. Right. <laughs> like I, we've been I mean I I feel like even though we have these discussions over and over and over and people online will often kind of change their opinion a little bit and sometimes it changes depending on like who's arguing with them and what the argument is and so on and so forth that I think everybody would agree that he if he could just shoot like 
40-ish percent from that 10 to 16 foot range, that that would be enough. Yeah. I think you would take it. And I don't know if that's a matter of desperation or a matter of, of critically understanding that that's what's most important. But either way, I think that that, I think that people would agree that that's enough. Yeah. And it's kind of funny too, because I, well, the past week or so, I've started to take a little sabbatical from uh, Twitter with how uh, toxic it's been. Oh, for but sure. There's been this narrative that's kind of been developing. And I know it all started a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you saw the Crossing Broad article by Kevin Kincaid, basically talking about how neither Ben nor Joel have improved as players. I don't think I saw that. Over, over the past year. And I don't see that for Embiid at all. But, you know, as far as is Ben Simmons really any different or when better When you say you player? haven't seen it for Embiid, you mean he has improved, right? Yes. Okay, good, because I agree with yeah, you. Yeah, we just talked about that earlier with just a three-point right. shot alone. Yep. But with Ben Simmons, it's, you know, we're I'm a Ben guy. I've defended him to death. But now it's starting to get to points like, yeah, dude, you haven't really, you know, if anything, you're turning the ball more, turning over the ball more, and you're taking even less shots outside of 10 feet. So it's – um. I don't want to say he's regressed. He just has been. No, he's really- regressed. I gave you the reasons why. Yeah. He has to take those shots. That percentage going down 14% over two years when, like, you should be making the jump. Like, everybody talks about second-year players making the jump and that third year being, like, a huge year for yeah. big stars and early draft picks. Like, he hasn't made it at all. No. It's definitely more that he, like, the best case you can make for him is that he is the same. And I don't think he is. I think he's taking a step back. Mm. Is it a significant step? No. And is it easily correctable? I think yes. Because I think these are conscious decisions. I don't think that these are skill-based things. Because these numbers aren't about him making it or not. They're about right. him taking it. That's not a skill thing. That's a willingness thing. That's a mental thing. That's the concern. And I think that's the funniest part is that I, I mean, we, we have to deal with it with everybody. We have to deal with more mental concerns about players than than, ever any, other, before. than yeah. any other team in any sport like ever, I think. It's insane that we have to continue to deal with these things. In a similar manner, Tobias Harris. So we talked about him having two good games, and a lot of people are like, okay, he's out of the slump, he's back. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. And this isn't even necessarily a knock on him. It's just that I don't think he's back yet. Because I think his, his overall game is improving. And I think while I've been critical of his efficiency since he's become a sixer compared to the rest of his career, there are things that he's done more of and gotten better at that I want to give him credit for. But with those things comes the negative. So here's what I have. Tobias Harris is shooting 25.5% from three. We all know that's been a struggle. I've made that case multiple times on this podcast, whether it was last season, this season, whether we should max him out or not, whatever. He is shooting 33% from the corners, which I feel like just having watched this season, and I have no evidence of this whatsoever, but I do have the numbers here, that I can't, I can feel like I can count on one hand how many times I've seen him actually get a three from the corner. I feel like they're always from the angles or the top of the arc. They're never in the corner. For his career, he is 36% from three. He shoots 38% from the corners. So that's not much, but still he's better in the corner. For his career, 29% of his threes are from the corners, which by the numbers is his best spot to shoot them, right? Last year, just last year, once he was traded to the Sixers, he only got 19% of his threes from the corner. This season... He's only getting 22% of his threes from the corner. That's really shocking. (laughs) I think that there's something to this. It's not the end-all, be-all. There's still mechanical issues that we're seeing. I've still seen an, an inconsistency in his release point. I've seen him release on the way down more than I can ever remember, which is indicated in so many front rim shots. And those things correlate and line up, so that's not... You know, that, that's absolutely true. Whether that's an anomaly or, or not, I don't know. But that's definitely been the case more than I can recall. But I think there has to be something to be said now for the time that he was here last year and the time he's been here so far this year, albeit pretty, pretty different lineups and pretty different teams, 
that there is a schematic way to make him better at this. And there is a schematic flaw with the way that he's used. And there's, there's two opposite ends of the spectrum here. One is that Brett Brown has to figure out how to get more out of him. But two is if you knew that he wasn't going to be efficient in the scheme that you have and you weren't going to be willing to change it, then why did you give him the deal? Right. And this was kind of, I'm not sure if you remember my one, I forget what exactly the question was, like my main concern or something negative that's going to happen this year when we recorded from the uh, pod from the Wells Fargo parking lot uh, opening night, whereas, you know, Tobias Harris, because what everyone kept bringing up was every year he got better and better as a player. When he was on the Clippers, he was you know, should have been an all-star. He was on the bubble, whatever. For sure. And my fear is, you know, at his this point in his career and his age, it's like I don't know if he can expect at that point for a player to just keep getting better. At, at some point. Well, he's, he's only like 27. Yeah, which I, I know isn't old, but at some point it's like, all right, like, you know, he just may kind of, you know, level out or may even regress a little bit. And it's just I, – I really don't know what the answer is. But this has been a fall from grace, man. Like, he was shooting 40-plus yeah. percent from three. So even if you want to say that he's not on the way up anymore, this kind of drop-off at 27 is not correlated to age or anything. And while I agree that the he's gotten better every season thing is a little bit tired at this yeah. point and maybe shouldn't be the expectation, I think what it does speak to that people – I mean, we've said, and, and people have said, to be fair, but it's his work ethic. It just because he isn't this highly talented prospect. Right. Like he was, he was, a, he was a first round pick. You know, he's had the work to get here, so we know that he could do it. We know he puts in the time, and I don't think anybody's doubting that. But I think that's a reason that while maybe you can't expect him to make such a drastic jump anymore, and I don't think any of us expected him to take some gigantic leap this season. We just want him to get back to that form. So even if he would have right. just plateaued off from his Clippers form, I mean, that's what we traded for. That's what we wanted. We thought that was the piece to get us over the hump, but he's not even that still. And it's just strange because, you know, what's different uh, from this year versus uh, last year is that last year he was the four, this year he's really the three. But either way, being a three or four, like, that should net you opportunities from, you know, those corner three spots. And me personally, I know my eye test, it seemed like when J.J. and Embiid last year had that dribble handoff, it always, to me, seemed like uh, J.J. was always making them from the corners, or at least he was able to make that shot. Now, I know his I mean, shot J.J. Was, shot a high percentage from everywhere. Yeah, so, everywhere. So, so it, it's not really fair to compare, but I don't know what it is. It, and those are usually shots you don't get from creating your own shot. So he needs to work on, whether it's with Horford or Embiid, some sort of dribble handoff situation or... Or, I don't know if a pick and roll is yeah, the I answer. Don't, but I, just, I don't think the dribble handoff is his game. It, it, he has to figure something out. I agree yeah. with that. But I think this this isn't necessarily the only solution. There are obviously schematic things that they can do with other other people. But this brings us back to the Ben thing. I was talking to Brandon After, friend of the podcast and uh, host of Garbage into Gold, another Sixers podcast. You can check that out. I was talking to him today about Ben Simmons and talking about you know Ben is such a tremendous talent in the concept of driving kick which is what the NBA has become so accustomed yeah. to and the whole idea has been like oh let's surround these guys with shooters and we thought Tobias Harris was a shooter and you know JJ Redick was obviously a shooter and so on and so forth and the biggest problem with that is that if Ben isn't going to shoot then no one has to has to collapse on him so right. much and leave the other guys open which is why we stress that shot but Another way to get Tobias going is to put him in that corner and have Ben drive and get it out to him. The problem is if Ben isn't a threat on offense, it's never going to open it up. So That's true. There's a little bit of give and take there. To give Tobias some credit, I will tell you this, and when you talk about you know whether we should have expected him to improve or not, he has improved significantly on everything outside of the three-point shot. And I think the eye test backs this as well. Absolutely. I think we've talked about like yeah. he's attacking the rim more, which seems weird with the lineups that he's in, that he's even getting that opportunity. And people have said, like, you know, he's not a great off-the-dribble guy. He's not really a slasher. Can he get to the rim? Like, he's doing it a ton yeah, this he's- season, and he's doing it efficiently. For this season, he's shooting 78% within three feet. So that's basically your layups and shots at yeah. the rim. He was only about 66.5% for his career before this season. He's shooting 50% from 3 to 10 feet, only 42% for his career. 
46% from 10 to 16 foot. That same shot we want Ben to take. Up from 42% for his career. And from 16 feet to the three-point line, so every deep mid-range two, 57% up from yeah. 43% on his career. It almost leads me to wonder if him working on everything other than the three-point shot screwed up his three-point shot. That's Because everything yeah. else seems better. It and does. even in the clutch, we saw that game where he shot, what, like 0 for 11 from three? Yeah. He hit, like, back-to-back he, mid-range exactly. jumpers to, to, to keep that, us yeah. in that game. Like, it, it's almost like, okay, like, you figured that out. It's working for you. Now if you just take the time to go back and, and get the three back, you'll have everything. You'll be ridiculous. Yeah. And I, I, know, I know that that sounds, you know, easier than it is, but... I, I just wonder if there's something to that. There's something that he knew that like, he was going to need to be a more complete player, and kudos to him for, for upping all those numbers. It's, it's incredible. He deserves more credit for that. It's not talked about enough, but if it's yeah. going to come at the sacrifice of the three-point shot in the way that we play, then I don't know if it ends up being a net benefit. Yeah. I mean, then again, we I, I haven't seen any Instagram videos of him this summer on, working on that three like Ben. So. Sheesh. Maybe there's something. I don't know. <laughs> so before I get to the other mailbag question we had, uh, all, all this talk about Tobias and Ben actually had me thinking about something that I feel like has come up over the past couple of days. And this might have stemmed from, I don't know if this stemmed from Twitter or the Ricky or both or what have you, but I guess I'm going to ask it to you in a different way than I think people are talking about it. So here, I'll ask you this. If you had to move one starter to the bench to try and see if switching roles would do anything for this team, which starter goes to the bench and is basically the sixth man? I feel like it's being talked about with Horford. Really? Hmm. And letting Tobias start at the four and having a guy like Ennis or Corkman start. I don't... Al Horford, who is 33 and making like $23, 24000000 million. Yeah, I, I see the argument. If I had to pick someone, I would probably pick Josh Richardson. See, I'm with you there. Because I he, think that's the answer. Yeah, because it, Toby, his best, you know, ball in this city was playing at the four. Well, uh, Josh Richardson doesn't change that. What was that? Josh Richardson going to the bench doesn't put Toby at the four. Oh, damn it! You're right. <clears throat> Brain fart. I, I mean, I mean, Josh Richardson had a really good, you know, uh, offensive game. In you Oklahoma want to change city. your answer? Yeah. No, I'm sick. No. <laughs> Fuck it, I'm sticking with Josh Richardson. Okay. Yeah, I I think him coming off the bench, um, especially if there's games where... Uh, so who's starting at the two? Who's starting at the two? We don't really have a two guard. That's the problem. Nope. I, I mean... But is Josh Richardson a two guard? Mm, not really. I don't think he is. I think that's another problem that we're, we're, we're yeah. suffering from is that Ben Simmons is not necessarily a true point guard. Josh Richardson is not a true shooting guard. And Tobias Harris is definitely not a small forward. Yeah, everybody's pretty out of position other than Embiid and Horford, who are still learning to play together and barely get to play together. And right. I mean, I'm fine with that because Al Horford was almost meant to be Embiid insurance, much more than he was meant to be the complementary piece alongside him. Although they will need right. to figure that out. I think Horford's interesting, not because I don't think he can't play alongside Embiid, but just because if he's already being used to spell him anyway, then just giving like that first stint to just Embiid and just, like, feeding him relentlessly and then giving him the break and Horford being fresh for that, I think could be huge. And then, like, right. second half, if you want to switch that and Horford plays more minutes with the full stars, like, that's fine because it's the second half and it's fine. But starting the game, I kind of feel like you like you have the freshest Joel Embiid that you have. You have the freshest Ben Simmons that you have. Like, let them go to work. Let them burn their energy. And then when you need to spell Embiid, it's Horford in. Toby shifts up. Like you said, like Richardson can can be in a better role at that point. Maybe Ben leaves with Joel, even though people say that they can't play together. Maybe yeah. you take them both off and let Horford, Tobias, and Richardson work with a Cork Mazzanetto uh, or something like that. I, I don't hate it. I don't think Al Horford would do it. No. And I don't blame him at all. I, I absolutely don't blame him. I know we talk about how he's a – professional and he's amazing and I mean those are all the reasons why you don't ask him to go to the fucking bench right it sucks that it's that way but I think it's that way I think to your point with Josh Richardson I think he's the only one you could do it with 
Exactly. So that's where I think it's the answer. It's not necessarily even for any scheme or fit reason. It's he's the only one I think you can get away with it. And then if you can figure out a way to bring him in with a second unit where he gets more opportunity to handle the ball and create and run his offense that way because he's clearly not playing well as being an off-the-ball guard. Yeah. And last year he flourished in Miami basically being the ball handler and being the main offensive guy that, like, I would just give him short spurts to try that out because what else are you going to do? Yeah, I just – I don't know who you're going to plug in that two or, like – I mean, it doesn't really matter that. I mean, much. you could even put like Howell Neto at the two guard. Like, he I mean, could he could hit it from three and um, yeah, Neto's an option. Thibel's an option. I was about to say, I think even Burke, Korkmaz is an option. He needs the ball in his hand. Ennis is an option. They like yeah, they can almost defend the two enough. I mean, not Korkmaz, but love him, but yeah, not Korkmaz, not a two guard. But yeah, I think people are going to continue to talk about Horford, and I understand, but I don't think there's any way that that works. I think the only option if you're going to do that is Josh Richardson, and while it could be interesting and maybe it could work, I just don't think that the pros outweigh the cons. I think you you have to live and die with this starting five. Yeah, and I think that would I could see arguing for Horford for the bench if we had an issue of center depth like we did last year in the playoffs, but. I mean, we don't have, you know, uh, Bobby anymore or Greg Monroe. You know, we, we have someone like a Kyle O'Quinn. So I – the death isn't as concerning at the center this year as it is last year. So you can't do that to Al Ford. And we, we, we all appreciate Al Horford too much to do that to him. Yeah. I, yeah, I think we think we kind of covered all that. You brought up Kyle O'Quinn. And real quick before I get to my last thing, do you think that he needs to be playing more? He's only played in 11 of the 13 games, and he's only getting 9.6 minutes a game. Like, I actually said that I didn't think that he – I thought there would be games where he didn't play, and most people told me I was wrong and they were going to rotate all three. And I was right, but I'm not happy about it. And you won't hear that from me very often. <laughs> but I'm not happy about it. And seeing him play with this team and how good he is, yeah. he needs to play every game. There's I no reason to not do it. I knew f- from watching him on other – uh, teams that he, you know, he he's very reliable. He, I knew about his. Uh, he's a pretty good passer for a guy. I had his no size. idea he could pass like that. Yeah, I didn't know he could hit hit a three occasionally. Um, I know that's really any center anymore, but uh, I mean, I I don't think there's really been a game where I'm like, we need to get him the hell out of there. He just looks no, bad. absolutely like, not. He's, no, he he's Did really you? great. I mean, he definitely deserves it. Yeah, I agree. But it doesn't bother – but his lack of playing – it doesn't bother me. It bothers but, me. But I think he deserves if it. If you're worried about the conditioning of Joel Embiid and, yeah. and, and, and you know this guy's playing well, why aren't you giving him a couple minutes? Right. I, I don't have it in front of me because I didn't think we would talk about it. But, dude, if you look up Kyle O'Quinn's uh, percentage of three-pointers attempted for his career versus when he's been here, it's crazy. He's shooting so many threes here. And they're going <laughs> in. It's crazy. Yeah, and I mean, to your point, too, Embiid only played 22 and a half minutes in the uh, Cleveland well, game. Well, yeah, I mean, they fucking but, smoked him. But Kyle Quinn only played six and a half minutes. So, I mean, there you go. I mean, He's he not def- playing in that game. When is he playing? It, exactly. Like he. All right, so the last thing I have was also brought to us by our friend Brandon Apter from Garbage in the Gold. And it was talking about guys that the Sixers might look for at the deadline or in buyouts for – for shooting options. So this is very tough to do this early in the season because we don't really know where teams are at. We don't really know who's going to be out of contention. But the thing I did was I mostly looked for guys who are unrestricted free agents because that means that they only have one year on the deal. They're already partially through it. The salary should be fairly low. You should be able to work out a trade with very minor pieces and a couple, you know, maybe seconds to get it done. The first one I have on here is the only one that's actually kind of crazy but but in a world it could make sense and this is going to cost you a little more than everybody else you have it in front of you so you're yeah. saying it yeah i got it joe harris of the nets who would be unreal yeah. on this team joe harris is an unrestricted free agent he's only making seven and a half million and we know the nets already spent their money on durant and kyrie irving they also have spencer dinwiddie deandre jordan and karis lavert Right now, next year, they already have $131 million on their payroll, and that's without paying Joe Harris, who's going to get paid. Yeah, he is. And then that's obviously I, – well, I shouldn't say obviously. I don't think they're going to end up really being in contention this no, season. No, probably not. So if they start panicking 
and maybe want to get some assets that, you know, they had to give away in the sign and trade for Durant or in any of the other deals that they've done. And they know that they're going to need to, you know, draft a couple, you know, minimum contract type of players to fill out rosters with these giant contracts handed out to guys like Durant and Irving. Do they ever decide there's no way we're re-signing him, there's really no reason to retain him because we're not contending this year, and see what they can get for a guy like that? Yeah, I I could see them getting a first-round pick for him. Absolutely. And yeah. I would give it to them. Absolutely. Yeah, with – He's definitely worth at least a first. Oh, yeah, I would give it to him. He shoots like – I I should have looked up his numbers, but I just wanted to run through these guys real quick. But he he's, has to be shooting like 42 43% from three at least. Yeah. And like routinely shoots well over 40% from three. Um, I thought that was interesting. I've never heard anybody talk about it. I might just be pulling at straws there, but like absolutely after going through that list, he's number one at the top of my list. If there's some way that they can finagle that, even if it's just for this season because there's no way the Sixers can re-sign him, like I would absolutely go for it. Now, I, I don't know if you heard about this story. This is actually something I read on my way over here, but I wouldn't – there's something really weird going on with the Nets right now with – I think it's with uh, Dimwitty. Did you hear about his whole contract situation no. where it might be voided? So basically, and a lot of this stems from financial things and contracts and things are a little bit over my head, but the NBA, they've basically hired attorneys with Spencer Dinwiddie's contract. So basically... Oh, wait, no. Is this, this isn't the thing about how he wants... Is he the one that wants to like have... Like wants all of his money up front? No, one of the guys on the Nets is trying to start a thing where people buy stock in athletes and they pay people out of their salary or something. Yeah, it's something weird. And, and you know, maybe in the next couple of weeks, these things will kind of sort itself out. But basically, he started a company. Did we just turn this into mad money? Maybe. Sell, sell. Um, sorry for banging on Does the table. Does anybody have a baseball bat? Oh, start smashing pint glasses. Didn't even have a that charger. You think we have a baseball bat? Hey, you have a charger, fuckface. Yeah, we have chairs um, and tables. So there you go. But oh something my. about he, he started his own company and with these investors. Yeah, basically, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I yeah, did read that. He's basically getting the entire length of his contract, whatever that money is. He's getting that all up front. Yeah. And his contract and people basically, are buying stock in him. Yeah. And they get paid out of that. And there's some kind of league stipulation where you can't. Have you other can't assign associ- other benefits yes. to your yeah. contract, you know, your financial compensation. Yeah, this is well above our fucking e- degree of difficulty. E- yeah, here. so... We're shooting but, a five-point shot here. So all I'm saying is whatever comes out, there's a chance that this contract could be, like, null and void. Yeah, but I think so, I think the only way that something like that happens with him is that he would then not be, basically be able to play. Like, I don't think that that happens, and all of a sudden he's not a net and can go anywhere. One, I think they would still have his rights, even if they voided some kind of right. contract like that. And two, there's no way it gets that far, because it'll be a fucking nightmare. Yeah. And Adam Silver's a pussy and would never yeah, do anything like that. Between that the and then... He, the only thing he would do is remove, you know, Sam Hankey from power. Yeah, that and... Um, you know, the, was it an owner or executive for the Kings who uh, basically laundered money from, from the sack? I saw that table and didn't read it. <laughs> but yeah, he just basically sold $13 million. Sponsors ended up paying him and not the team. So. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. But well, if anyone wants to devil. pay me instead of the Process Potables brand for advertising, I will fucking take it. Yeah, we'll take like a, you know. Who's semi, You know, you. Speaking on behalf of you. I'm your uh, attorney th- for free. Thank you. Remember, our, our boy from Flying Fish is sending me to law school, so lawyer. <laughs> oh, right. I forgot. Yeah. Shit, I just got lawyered. Yeah. Um, other, other, other names that came up, and not necessarily – I mean, most of these are all shooting except for one, but uh, on the Cavs, since they have a couple expirings and are, are going to be looking to move people, I think Jordan Clarkson is a guy that I love who's an absolute bucket, but he's making $13.4 million this deal oh, this wow. year. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's going to, even if you absorb that late, I think that's going to be hard to match. Yeah. I think that might take like a Zaire contract and I'm not moving Zaire for Jordan yeah, Clarkson for half a year. Uh, I don't, no. I don't know that Jonah Bolden and picks balance out enough for that. Uh, that'll be interesting to monitor. Matthew Delvadova is an expiring deal if they're not happy with the backup point guard situation, but I think they're good with Neto. Um, no, they, I, I've liked what I've seen from they that. They do up. have until, like, January 11th or 15th, I think, until Trey Burke's contract becomes finalized. So not that that necessarily has anything to do with this, but I'll tell you that, like, if Trey Burke 
is not in their plans, then he's definitely going to be out of here by mid-January because they will not let his contract get fully yeah. guaranteed if he's not going. If he's going to continue to play in the role he's playing right now, then he won't be here past no, January. So that's a, a thing to look out for. So if they do have to go down that road, Delvadova's another one. I mean, Cleveland might just want that off the books so bad that you actually get a pick for that. That's the only appealing thing to me. Like, you're not giving anything for him. Right. You would be getting something to take that on. But because it's expiring, it's probably you, it's probably basically a wash. Uh, this is the one I'm most interested in, other than Joe Harris, which I think is a crapshoot. Bogdan Bogdanovich. I, Bogdan Bogdanovich. I can't do it. I don't know, man. He's like the sixth man for the Kings right now. He's a restricted free agent, but he's only on an eight and a half million deal, and the Kings don't look great so far. Yeah. Uh, that guy can shoot, man. My my only concern doesn't he basically play the same position as Furkan though? Well, yeah, but Furkan would cook him, so I'm yeah, not worried. True. Basically, I'm hoping that any of these guys come in and just challenge Furkan and pu- push him to an entire other level than he's already at. So as far as my brand and the Furkan Korkmaz, you know, president of the fan club that I am, all these guys are just coming in to get their lunch stolen by Korkmaz, but... That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marco Bellinelli, <laughs> who people would probably trade two first-round picks for at this probably, point. Probably, yeah. Because he hit a two-pointer that shot confetti off in the playoffs exactly. and didn't win us the game. Uh, he is unrestricted on a $5.8 million deal with the Spurs, who seem like they'll probably fall out yeah. at some point and seem like they might just be trying to deal everybody at this point and actually rebuild for once. Imagine that. <laughs> Reggie Bullock is a popular name from the Knicks that people have talked about. He still has another year on his deal, which is nice because it's cheap and you would have him for next year. But I don't know what the Knicks are going to want. And they also have like eight power forwards, so I don't know how they get rid of a guard. Yeah. Uh, but he has one more year at $4.2 million. He's making $4 million this season. I, I don't think he's really an upgrade from anybody on our bench, though. I'm not a, I'm not a huge Reggie Bullock fan, but there are a lot of people out there that, that like him. But would you trade Jonah Bolden for him? Because clearly the Knicks don't have enough power forwards. So, Man, I, I mean, <laughs> Jonah Bolden looks so good in the G League. I, I don't know. Maybe he could come up here and get 34 That's again. That's true. If you listen to the beginning of this. Uh, <laughs> and the last one, I've never been a fan of this guy, but I mm. absolutely would take the chance on him for, like, one playoff run because we've seen what he can do in one playoff run, and that's Isaiah Thomas. $2.3 million deal on unrestricted free agent from the Wizards, who are obviously in the tank. You know, if, if anything... I like him more than everybody on this list except for Joe Harris, if I'm being honest. I really, really like it. For, for what it would cost, because Clarkson costs so much money. Clarkson would be my number one. Besides, Joe Harris is number one, Jordan Clarkson's number two, and then Isaiah Thomas is number three for me. And I think there's some parallels or some kind of overlapping with him and Trey Burke. So I think if you were to get rid of Trey Burke and get him instead, Isaiah Thomas like, has shown at least at some point of his career that he can be a very, very good three-point yes. shooter. And I don't think that Trey Burke has. And Isaiah Thomas at one point was arguably like a top five slasher somehow, right. even though he's so small and not physical. Like he was just finishing everything. So like I know that that was like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing, but if you were just kicking the wheels on somebody to see if maybe they could like – if you're telling me that one guy on this list could absolutely just steal you a playoff game, it might be Isaiah Thomas. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's he's done it. It's crazy to yeah. think, but he's the, he's the only one that's done it. He's truly yeah. the only I mean, I mean, I guess Delvadova was kind of doing it, but that was bullshit. Yeah, and he had he LeBron, and yeah, he's... Less, oh, my God. Did you see the video of uh, Patrick Beverly being interviewed by some, like, Australian or British reporter? And they no. were like, and they, they literally said to his face, they were like, Oh, you were out there scrumming like Matthew Delvadova, huh? And he was like, I-, I don't do it like that. I, I do it like Patrick Beverly. <laughs> nice try, though. <laughs> they tried to call Pat Beverly Matthew Delvadova. Are you fucking kidding me? The oh nerve of that guy. That, wow. Patrick Beverly wow. would eat fucking Delvadova's mm-hmm. lunch seven days of the week. It's, and, uh, it's, it was clearly just some kind of reach <laughs> from some guy from Australia who I have no idea how the fuck he got in the locker room. But yeah. it was so funny. I'll have to find the video for <laughs> you. Another verbal meme. Yeah. And uh, speaking of all Australians, yeah, Brett Brown coaching the uh, the Boomers again. All right. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, we got we got two quick hits then, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Brett Brown, is it official or he was asked? It, it's official, my official? understanding. Okay. Yeah. So, congrats, Brett Brown. Congrats. 
the seat working two jobs. The seat must be less hot in Australia than it is for the Sixers now, so that's nice. Yeah, that's a pure. That's a real hot seat, cool throne kind of thing right now. <laughs> I think. So the last thing is the Sixers unveiled this new style of jersey. They have the like Declaration of Independence font. The entire city of Philadelphia spilled out, spelt out on it. Oh my God! So it says Philadelphia. This is a uh, Elton Brand number forty-two nice. for our forty-second episode. How about that? Oh, I like it. Uh, these are fire. The f- I'll admit, I looked at the first time I looked at it, I was like, I don't think so. And then like, I gave it like three minutes. I'm like, no, actually, these are fresh. Yeah, and and the numbers kind of look weird on the jersey, but I think it's just how how they're like laid out. Like, if they I mean, were I think they're kind of script, not as yeah. script as Philadelphia, but they're still script, and I like it. They could be a little thicker. That would be my only thing. Yeah. Uh, but I love that it Philadelphia is spelled out all the way. I think yeah. that's huge. And I Literally think, and figuratively. Um, sometime late in the summer, too, there's a photo that leaked where it was very similar, but it was all blue. Dark blue. Yeah, which that really, really... I, that I mean, as a fat guy, I would prefer the dark blue yes. for sure, because I can't wear this one. Yeah, I haven't bought any which, white jerseys. Which sucks, but uh, hey, I went to the gym two days in a row, so maybe I'll get this. Nice. Haven't been able to say that for a long time. Uh, again, please, if you don't have it on your calendar, if you're available... December 6th, Friday night. We are celebrating one year of this podcast. I, I cannot believe this thing has gone for a year. Uh, appreciate everybody who has listened. We will be at Neck of the Woods Brewing in Pittman, New Jersey. we hanging out. Beer's flowing. Shirts available. We're going to do some giveaways, maybe do some trivia, stuff like that. So please make sure to come out, hang out. It will be a good time. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe, five-star review, rating, and uh, let's have In the Presence of Wolves play us out.